Claire here, and welcome to episode 19 of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today's episode focuses on saving for college, and more specifically, about those things called 529 college savings plans. We're very lucky to have Mary Morris, CEO of Virginia 529, the largest 529 plan in the country, with us today to chat about it all. We covered a lot of ground in our discussion, as you'll see, and we'll likely have Mary back again in the future to continue our chat and to learn about some of the new programs that might be coming down the pipeline. More than likely, you've all heard about 529 plans and perhaps even have them. So today we delved into the specifics on how to use them, in-state versus out-of-state, on-campus versus off-campus, and ways to reduce your state tax bill along the way. First, a little about Mary, our guest. As I mentioned, she's the CEO of Virginia 529, a role she's held since 2007. Prior to her time at Virginia 529, she was a tax, securities, and bond expert for a national law firm and served as treasurer for the Commonwealth of Virginia prior to that. She served in the office of the Attorney General, where she helped lay the groundwork for the Higher Education Trust Fund, or the Virginia 529 plan, as it's now called. Representing the EvoFi team today is myself and Dave O'Brien. Uh, if you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to drop the podcast a line, you can shoot us an email at evofipodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Twitter or Instagram at evofipodcast. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal today is some education and a little bit of fun. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. So with that said, here's the EvoFi team talking with Mary Morris of Virginia 529. Enjoy. Dave O'Brien, and our guest today, Mary Morris, CEO of the Virginia 529 program. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, as we were talking before, um, you know, this is our first topic or our first discussion on college savings plans, and so we feel very, very lucky to have you here. I know you're very busy. Um, and sounds like this is not your first podcast, as you said, right? You've, you do TV and radio. But That's right. Yeah. Done a few podcasts and a fair amount of radio. So. Now, in looking at your background, you've, you've had quite the... Um, Lots of experience, and I looked at one. You were a tax, securities, and bond expert at one point earlier in your career. I was. I have to claim that. I'm, an, I'm a reformed lawyer, I guess. Uh, so I haven't practiced for a long time. But. So I'm intrigued. So before we kind of dive into the other mm -hmm. stuff, tell us a little bit about what your experience is there so we can tailor our, our comments accordingly. I don't want to get sure. caught in uh, Yeah, my path, well, you know, I went, went to law school and uh, got my tax degree, so I also have my Master of Law in Taxation. Um, and had a pretty broad practice, but a lot of it, when I particularly moved to Richmond, was focused on um, estate planning. So that ties in a little bit with what we do. But what really put me on the path that I'm on now was the bond work that I did when I was practicing law in Harrisonburg. So um, 
that helped me get a job with the Attorney General's office because most lawyers aren't both tax and bond lawyers. They're either tax lawyers or they're bond lawyers, and mm -hmm. I could do both. Um, so I moved on from private practice to the Attorney General's office where I did both. So I represented the Treasury Department, which does bond issuances, and so they were my client, but I also represented the tax department. We did tax litigation and have a pretty broad, but mostly business tax base. And how, how did you deal. find your way then to the Virginia 529 program? So they were my client back a million years ago. When they first started, um, they were staffed by Treasury. Treasury was my client. I was in the Attorney General's office. So I actually helped create our original prepaid program. Um, it was our first, the first person that held the job I'm in now, my predecessor. There have only been two of us, um, Diana Cantor and Cindy Comer, who worked for me in the Attorney General's office, and me. And the three of us really created the prepaid program. So they were my client, and uh, so I got to know it. We worked on that. We developed the program. I represented them. And and it was, uh, I'll date myself now, but <laughs> sometimes it's like, you know, Mickey Rudy and Judy Garland, the old <laughs> movies. Yeah. Some people still watch the old movies. You know, let's put on a show. Um, we created something from nothing. We had a bill. We had legislation that said you shall offer these prepaid tuition contracts because that's all we had at the time. And so we figured it out and we borrowed liberally from the handful of states that had already done it, uh, Florida. Michigan, Texas were some of the earliest states to offer education savings accounts, and so they were very collaborative. We still remain a very collaborative industry, which is nice. We all learn from each other and try to find the best ways to help people plan and save for education. We've expanded the um, sort of college to education more broadly, um, one, because 5 to 9s can now be used for K through 12, which we don't talk about a whole lot because I think they're better for post-secondary, but there's a very broad range of post-secondary options for people today that are terrific, that aren't just the traditional four-year bricks-and-mortar college. And we look forward to talking about that more so, today, yeah. so that's, I'm glad you brought that up so in advance. So I did that for a while, then I went back in the private sector, um, had a chance to be to serve as state treasurer um, based on my work with Treasury and my tax and bond experience, and I was a member of the board then, so I helped create the program. I was away for a while, um, then I was a board member of Virginia 529 for my term as treasurer. Went, went away again, did more securities work and corporate governance stuff, and then came back in six years later in my current position as CEO. So, Well, and to be fair, for those who are listening who may not know this, it is the largest program in the country. It is. And in terms of assets, participants, or how, how is that defined? Always, All of the above? Always, yeah. So we are the largest by far. We're two and a half times larger than the next largest Um a lot of that's because of our um, partnership with the American Funds and our College America program. Okay. That's what makes us the largest. Okay. Um, but we have a very robust um, Invest 529, which is what we call our direct savings program. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about all that we'll going forward. It, so I'm yeah. glad I'm glad you've teed all that up for us. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's obviously a very respected um, um, uh, program. Uh, we deal with our clients a lot on this, and um, we're very proud to be able to say it's within our home state. So and kudos to you for well, all thanks. the work you've done over the years to build yeah. it. I think, you know, one of the things, our, our legislation was really good. Mm -hmm. um, we've always been allowed to be, I think, entrepreneurial and to really build the best. We have a, an excellent governance structure. I'll tell Morningstar that every year when we, I'm going to go into the month and, um, <laughs> and meet with them because they rate, rank um, five to nine programs, and we're one of four gold-rated programs in the country. Um, and I think that's largely due to our governance structure. We have a particularly talented board and investment advisory committee and just, you know, everything that you would want to feel secure with your investments. I think we do a really good job of that. 
Well, that's fantastic, especially as an account holder. Uh, personally, I'm happy to hear that there's uh, great marks for governance. All mm -hmm. right, so um, you mentioned something. I'm gonna maybe we'll delve into this a little bit later, but mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about the prepaid. Uh, that's how it started, right? Is yes. the prepaid program, and then it evolved yep. into these other programs within Virginia 529. Yes, and yeah. that's true nationally. So okay. there was nothing. There were a handful of states, and as yeah. I said, Florida, Michigan, Texas were were the earliest, and we were one of the earlier entrants. Um, and they were looking, it sounds kind of quaint, because this was 35, 40 years ago. The state said, college tuitions, it's kind of getting out of control. Families can't manage it. We need to find a way to help yeah. them do that. And they did that through savings. Um, obviously, there's a lot of financial aid as well. And so they created these things called prepaid contracts. And um, they're quirky. Um, at, at the tops, we had, I think, 19 states had prepaid programs. We're down to 10. Yeah. Um, they're not easy to run um, because most of them, and, and every state's different. But in Virginia, we have, for example, there is a statutory backup to it, sort of. It's right. not a guarantee by the Commonwealth. It's not you know, full faith and credit, as they say. But, yeah. um, but there is a, a backup. There is a commitment by the Commonwealth to make that program work. And so when we tell people, if you give us a certain amount of money today, it's a defined benefit program. Right. Which it's just like a pension plan. It's like a pension yeah. plan, yeah. And the risk you give us money that. today, and we promise a certain benefit in the future. Yeah. Um, and so with prepaid, it's, it's different depending on where you go. But the best benefit basically, is if you go to a Virginia public university. So it's a little bit of, you know, let's build up our, our state schools as well as provide families with a path to it. You could always use it elsewhere. So if anyone's listening and has a prepaid contract, just a reminder, you can use it anywhere. Um, but the benefit will be different if you go to a private school in Virginia or if you go out of state. Um, and so, again, all the state's programs, the benefits were a little bit different, mm -hmm. but that was the basics of it. You give us money today, um, you, you know, some of the ones that got into trouble were saying, you know, give us, it's tomorrow, today's tuition tomorrow. Right. doesn't quite work that easily. Yeah. And, um, you know, the first recession that we had back in the dot-com bubble burst in the early 2000s, um, some states decided, oh, this isn't as easy as we thought. Yeah. And they got out of the business. They simply shuttered their programs. Um, okay. And, and the compliance people said, you can't say that. You can't say certain things anymore, so we have to be careful what we say. Well, right? so, yeah, and some states, right, would, yeah. you know, were saying that it was guaranteed, and they didn't have a guarantee. And, and um, so we've always been pretty careful yeah. about not saying it's a guaranteed program, but, yeah. but there is some statutory support for the program. Okay. So we're going to talk about that more, and I know there are okay. some changes going on with the Virginia mm -hmm. prepaid program. So, yep. um, yeah, so we're going to take a step back a second. Since we were sure. so excited, we dove straight into the <laughs> IRS this is the first time in two years John's stuff. just jumped right into the yeah, you know, so, so Usually that's my, my, my bag. We, we like okay. to uh, do a little bit of a kind of get to know the guest first. So okay. if, you'll, if you'll bear with us sure. a second, we'll try and make this quick and painless. But okay. there are those five things that we put out in, in advance just mm -hmm. in case you wanted to do your homework and practice. <laughs> it's probably good if you haven't done it because then you can speak spontaneously. But five questions. We call it the Evo Five. Okay. We're going to start with what's your favorite word? Adaptable. Okay. Tell us why. Um, you know, I, it's maybe from having kids. I, I just I think it's <laughs> say important. no more. <laughs> I think it's I think it's important skill to learn. I, you know, when I, I was a Girl Scout troop leader for my kids, and uh, and unfortunately, my, my children aren't as adaptable as I think I am. Mm -hmm. But um, I like change. Um, that's been a good thing in the industry that we're in. It's yeah. it's a good thing in life generally, and I think it helps it helps keep you young. I mean, you just you have to be ready for change, right? Um, and change is coming, and certainly we've all lived through much change. And if you aren't adaptable, then you're just going to be left behind, and you're always going to be 
unhappy and upset because things are changing and you don't want them to change. So, but but mostly I use the word a lot when you know with Girl Scouts, it's like you know the plan changes. It's like it's raining, so we have to do something different. Yeah. It's like you thought we were going to do this, but we're going to do something else, and that's okay. Um, just roll with the punches. So uh, it's just my favorite word. I think. I think it's good. I I can definitely identify with that myself too. So I may maybe start to use that more often consciously. <laughs> All right, here's another one, and this may be yeah. Well, let's just dive in. What profession <laughs> other than your own would you like to attempt? I know you've kind of been doing a bunch of other things prior yeah. in your life, but what would it be? <laughs> well, if I'd gone way back and been smart enough when I was very little and was out um, driving the golf cart for my dad, but not playing, because, um, you know, again, I'll date myself, but you know, little girls didn't really play sports. They didn't play golf. Um, but I went out, and I was on the course. And so if I started playing golf earlier, and I really haven't played much at all, then I would have been a professional golfer. Like, I think that would be really cool. And I've, I've told myself that I it's, was far enough in the past that I could have gotten good enough just because there okay. weren't very many women yeah. playing. Yeah. That I probably could have done it. Um, and then if I fast forward not quite that far back, venture capital probably. Uh -huh. So if I had known what I know today based on all the things that I've learned and the, the working that I've done, mm -hmm. I think I would have – because and so it's still finance-related. My law degree would, would be helpful. Golf too. Um, yeah. Go well, yeah. yeah, golf. But um, – exactly. But, but I find venture capital just fascinating, that whole concept of – the private equity investments mm -hmm. generally, um, but venture capital in particular, I just think is fascinating. And I, um, I dated a guy many years ago when I was still in law school who was one of the very first venture capitalists, and that's where I kind of learned the term first. And um, I ditched him along the way. And um, <laughs> but I wish we stayed together, and maybe I'd turned into a venture capitalist. But uh, but I get to do late. that. So we invest in that now through our prepaid program. So I actually get to be an investor in venture capital. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't so know I'm, that. I'm tied into it a little uh -huh. bit, just enough. But if I could go back, that. That might be what I would do. Well, we may have to chat about that a little bit more. Sure. I think no, Dave's writing that down too. That's something we learned. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is something you know that you do differently than most people? Oh gosh, I hadn't really thought about that one, and I don't know. What do I know that I do differently? I don't know. <laughs> I sometimes I think before I speak. I don't know. Um, I, I I multitask. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people do that, you I have guess. To, right? But but yeah, I, I like to keep I have a lot of things going on mm -hmm. in the back of my head sort of all the time and I think I'm good at compartmentalizing though, so maybe yeah. that's what I do differently than others. I can actually keep a lot of things running in the uh, what is it? That's the your the processor. RAM, but yeah. yeah, but I can actually sort of focus on what I need to, but I always know there's something else percolating back there, but mm -hmm. um, I'm not hearing voices in my head, <laughs> but I but, but things are processing, and I've always – so I, I know that comes out in how I write, for example. And yeah. this goes back to, you know, times when I was in school when I was doing tax litigation and had to write a brief. Um, oh, I'm a procrastinator too, so okay. so there's that goes together. But it works um, because when it comes time to write a brief, and, and it's been working in the back of my yeah. head. I've been thinking about it. I've done the research. But, like, I would write it in an hour. Yeah. You know, and most people might take weeks to do it. So – it's kind of worked its way out in my head, and then I just put it down on paper, and it's usually pretty close to what I want it to be. So, Do you hear multiple things different. going at the same time in your head? No, I don't hear them because yeah. I can compartmentalize them. Yeah, They're yeah. blocked off, and, and I can focus. And, and Parallel I mean, it's, processing. It's good and bad, but that. I mean, if something... Okay, thank you, Dad. That's what I was looking for. You know, if there's something I'm worried about even or concerned, it's, it's still there, mm -hmm. but I'm kind of able to, to push it back to get done what I have to get done. So it okay. comes in handy... In the work world and in personal life as well, I guess. So that, that's actually a great uh, 
topic, great segue for some. Dave hates when I do this because I get off in a little tangent. But you said <laughs> something, and I have to, because uh, I think it's fascinating. So we've just gone through the 50th anniversary of the moon landings, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a podcast on the BBC called 13 Minutes to the Moon. And it's about them getting Apollo 11 and all the stuff that had happened get to the moon. And one of the things, I'm tying Dave's like, where are you, where are you going where with this? It, where are we going? But yeah. it's about... Um, <laughs> The astronauts and all the people at Mission Control had to learn how to hear four or five different audio tracks at the same time. Yeah. And they had to distill them and listen to them in, uh, in sequence, or I guess in parallel, parallel, and they could translate them all at the same time. Fascinating. So yeah. when you said that, I'm like, wow, that is, that is a skill that I do not have. Yeah. Are, are we going to talk about 529? Thanks, Dave. Okay. Thanks, Dave. All right, <laughs> quick. If you could name a greatest of all time, what's the first that comes to mind? It can be in anything. Honestly, you know, that one's really hard for me because I, I don't, maybe I don't have heroes. Yeah. Um, but just now when I read through it, the name that popped in was FDR. And okay. I don't even know why, but. I'm not sure you need I a description I wasn't around. That, that's a good one. But yeah. anyway. Okay. Well, we'll let the debate continue on whether that, <laughs> the FDR can't argue. There's no okay. wrong answer. Final though. one. So this is a little bit of a fun one. Yeah. So we have a, a name that tune section, mm-hmm. which is in the theme of the podcast. So we've got one. And I would say that most of our guests do not get it right, so no pressure. <laughs> oh, uh, so there's a right and a wrong It's answer. always different. Well, yes, it's either the, the song or it's not. So I'm going to play it for you. You'll hear it in your earphones. Oh, I thought I'll I was, had to name it. No, song. you don't okay. have to sing I it either. I have to identify You're gonna, it. Okay. We're going to play it. There's no singing okay, or go. math on this <laughs> podcast. When some loud bragger tries to put me down and says this school is great, I tell him right away, now what's the matter, buddy? Ain't you heard of my school? It's number one in the state. Beach Boys, I know. Yes. Beach Boys. So I'll give you at least partial credit. But, school. Think the, of a Beach Boys the, song with school um, in it. Well, yeah, no, it, uh, something. Be, I know what it is. Be, be cool true, to your, true to your school. To your true school. to your school. Yeah, yes. be cool to you. I, like, uh. I never know names of songs either. I could have I could have you know one to hear me sing it, but I do know that song. So, it's it's yeah. hard. It, that's a classic. So just be thankful I didn't let Dave pick the song because he picks even harder ones. <laughs> Obscure yeah. ones. Obscure this one ones. Was hard. My kids yeah. would know. All right. So back to back to the reason you're here. Thank you for being a good sport. By what, the way, sure. what is a five twenty nine plan? Right. Really, really high level. Added One thing that we good. hear from a lot of folks is like, well, that's a 529 plan. I've got this thing from Gerber Life. Oh, uh, that would not that be it. Not a 529 <laughs> plan. No. So what is it? Why do we call it that? 529 plans are tax-advantaged education savings. Um, until just a year ago, they were tax-advantaged college savings, what we would say. But I, I'm training myself to say education savings. Um and, and that's it. It's the simplest. They have to be either run by or sponsored by a state. And that's a kind of interesting, unique thing about it. That comes from the fact that prepaids started this whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the states that started prepaids. Uh, and really, 529 is the section of the Internal Revenue Code, Section 529 of the Internal Revenue Code, that gives us our federal state, our federal tax advantages. Um, and basically, a 529 plan grows tax-free, so you're not taxed on it as it's, um, as you're putting money in or as it's growing, and you are never taxed on the earnings in a 529 account as long as you use them for qualified expenses. And that's a very broad range of um, education expenses. And, uh, and then in 36 states, I guess, there are state tax advantages as well. So in Virginia, um, it's a, up to a $4,000 per year per account deduction for state tax purposes. 
and we allow you to have multiple accounts in Virginia, and spouses can each have accounts, and grandparents can have accounts. Everyone can have an account mm -hmm. for a particular beneficiary, so you can actually multiply the benefit of that $4,000. And that's an area that I'd like to, to get into. Mm -hmm. So that's the 200 or the 300 level class, and if we're still in the 100 <laughs> level class. Okay, so it is a tax-advantaged educational savings mm -hmm. plan, or not a savings plan, but a prepaid plan. Right. In 39 states. So just right there, you can either save your money mm -hmm. and it's invested in various ways, which we can kind of get into, mm -hmm. at least the way the Virginia 529 offers, uh, or it is you put your money in or once or over a period of time and it's prepaying. So what's the difference between savings and prepaid sure. the way that like a family should think sure. about Well, that? as I think about them, and, and so most people are maybe more familiar with um, a 401k and not as many are familiar with pension plans anymore. We're fortunate, I work for the state, so we still have a pension plan, the Virginia Retirement System. That's a defined benefit plan. So that's one where you put a certain amount of money in either at one time or over time and there's a promised benefit in the future, regardless mm -hmm. of what that is, mm -hmm. defined benefit. Um, a defined contribution type of plan, which is would be like a 401k, is also like our Invest 529 or College America plan, um, our savings programs. Um, and that's where you select the investments. The risk is on the investor, mm -hmm. you know, that, that you pick the right mix. So you want to find um, sort of your tolerance. We have everything in our program from an FDIC insured bank account, um, which will not likely keep up with tuition inflation, but you also won't lose the money that you put in. Um, and with a prepaid program or defined benefit program, the risk is on the person providing the program. So the risk is on us to keep our promise, basically. We're taking in a certain amount of money and we take it in as a lump sum, or we take it in over time, and we're saying that we will cover. And what the, the main promise, I think I alluded to this earlier, is that it will cover tuition and mandatory fees at a Virginia public university in the future when you go. Um, We've had, well, I won't go into that. That'll be in the 300 level, so I won't go into it. What, what constitutes tuition and mandatory fees is a bit of a challenge. Um, Virginia's an interesting state in that we have 15 public universities. They are all very different. They mm -hmm. each have their own governing board. They set their tuition and fee policies are set independently. Most states have what's called a regent system, and so there's, there's sort of more control and, and uh, more similarity across the different public schools in those states. So Virginia's, but okay. it's so a benefit, I think. We have the best, I think we have the best public school system in the country, and one of the reasons I think prepaid's there. great. Um, yep. I always tell families, be, because again, if you have a prepaid account and your child doesn't go to a state school, you are likely going to get a lesser benefit. That's always been part of the pro program, part of the deal. Um, it's just we have a different calculation. And is there just because I think that is a question that most mm -hmm. people have is what, what if they don't go to a state right. school? So in general, I think the benefit is whatever the the proceeds were at a two percent or three percent rate. It's like a it's so a it cash value, to, especially right, right? institutional just, money market yeah. rate, okay. um, which in our earliest years was a pretty decent rate yeah. for about ten years. You know, during the recession and for many years after. Sure. You know, but people know that you yeah. also didn't earn anything on your banking bank you know your interest bearing checking account yeah. or CDs or anything else and so yeah. that was pretty pretty similar but that sort of depressed that and um, that's gone up now yeah. so um, you know it's it's maybe a two percent rate or so something. Okay. what do you see are 
is, is it a pretty even split which people use, the prepaid or the savings? No. No. Not even close. Um, by far, people, once we all opened up the savings programs, that's where most of the accounts go. Now, the reason for that, and I'll tease what we're changing, we're changing the benefit structure of the prepaid program. Um, and, and one of the, the main reasons is that, quite honestly, it's just gotten too expensive for most families to participate in. And our mandate is to help make college more affordable and accessible to all Virginia families. Um, and our prepaid program has just quite honestly, gotten out of reach for a lot of families. So I think when they look at the prepaid program and they think it sounds great and they go, ah, this is just too rich for my blood or I don't want a contract. So with prepaid, it is a contract. You know, you say I want to buy X number of semesters. Um, one thing we did five years ago was take it from years to semesters. So we could cut in, in half the cost of getting started, but it's still expensive because that's just what's happened to tuition in recent years. Um, and you can pay for it over time, but again, that's a commitment. Every month I have to pay X amount, and it can either be, it can either feel like a lot, you know, it can be as much as a car payment. You can make it inexpensive, but then, you know, you're buying one semester over a very long period of time that just doesn't feel, just doesn't feel like you're doing enough. Sure. Right? So more people are saying that the savings so approach saving feels savings right approach. for that. Because you only have to put in $25 to start, and you can put in $5 a month, or you can put in $100 if a couple of times a year you have it, and it's just easier to get people to do gifting. So it's just sure, prepaid can be a little sure. bit harder for families that don't have a lot of extra resources. It is a great program if you can afford it and if you have that discipline and are confident that every month you can make that contribution. So, you know, as families get a little bit older, and so our prepaid contributors tend to skew a little bit. You know, the kids are about eight average age when they start with a prepaid contract um, because the families maybe have a little bit more just regular income they sort of know where they are they're getting settled they're, they have they've taken care of some of the basics of life and they can start really planning for um, for education so so a question that we hear often is well what if I move I mean people move around the country with jobs and mm -hmm. all sorts of reasons if I start a savings plan, if we talk to the majority of the folks out there who are using a savings plan or maybe considering one, mm -hmm. and I'm contributing to the Virginia 529 savings plan in Bastor College America, what happens then if I move to, say, you know, Chicago? Sure. Well, totally portable. So you don't have to do anything. Nothing bad happens and all your all the federal tax advantages remain and every state they grow. I think there I'm, I may there may be one state I hope they've changed it, but only one state that doesn't have an exemption for the the growth within it. So let's say all states um, it grows tax free. But those state income tax deductions could change. So I would always say take a look at the state you go to and you decide if you like the asset mix, if you like the portfolios, if you like the performance of where you've been, whether it's our plan or anybody else's, then you might want to stay there. But if the tax advantages, the state tax advantages are sufficient, then you can simply transfer your account. There's no penalty for doing that. There are no tax consequences for doing that. And we've tried to make it easy in all the different states. Um, you know, you open up an account in the new state, and then you go to the, it's in like um, a portable retirement account. You know, when you move from, from one employer to the other, you can port that over. You can do the same thing with the 529. So, I mean, I'll give an example of like Colorado. Colorado has, um, I think it's, it's an unlimited state tax deduction for your contributions. So it's a pretty decent program. So if wow. you live in Colorado, you probably want to be in the Colorado program. 
Um, what some people will do, um, if you move but you like this program, they'll have two accounts. So you might have an account in the state that you go to, put in enough money to get the tax deduction for it, and then if you're going to make any further contributions to a program, pick the state that you like, whether that's Virginia or something else, But because you can have accounts in more than one state as well. So you brought something up, and I'm sure people don't do this, but I'll ask anyway. So let's say in that example, I live in Colorado. I put a bunch of money in, get the state tax deduction. Dave knows where I'm going with this. And then can I roll that into the Virginia plan? So get the state tax deduction, roll into Virginia because it's a better list of fund options and so most states, if you do that, are going to have a recapture like a on those back. state tax deductions. Yeah. Whether thing. people do it, I don't know. I mean, the, the methodology for checking that, but yeah. So okay, I figured that would. But if you transfer it, then you do get the state tax deductions for what you've put into Virginia, if you live in Virginia. So when you right. move, then you can do that over time. Because, again, with ours, there's an unlimited carry forward on your, on your deductions. So you might not be able to take it all at once, but or if you move it from a state where you didn't have a tax deduction. So if I'm in Colorado and I move to Virginia and I roll mm -hmm. over the plan into the INVEST program, mm -hmm. my cumulative contributions, I can take them again as a deduction? Mm-hmm. Oh. You opened up the account in Virginia. Again, Even you probably had to money. recapture it. Yeah, that's new money to... To Virginia. To our program and to Virginia. Yeah. And, and you've probably had to recapture it in Colorado, yeah. but then you're going to be able to have it right. here. But you have to do it over time. So it's $4,000 yeah. a year, but that's un you know okay. that's until you use it up. That, that, that's an interesting nuance that I think most people are unaware of. Yeah. Right? You roll it from one state into Virginia. That contribution to Virginia can be a way it's to reduce money. your taxable income in Virginia for that year. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a cool one. Um, We'll, we'll save some of the more 300-level tax questions for later. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so one is, you know, what if we move? But I guess another question is, so here uh, you're living in Virginia. You've been contributing to the Virginia 529 mm -hmm. Invest Savings Plan or College of America. And um, then your child decides that they really have to go to University of Georgia or they get mm -hmm. accepted at Princeton. Mm-hmm. Does that matter? Do, do parents really need to think about no. where their children are going to go? Only no. with the prepaid plan. Doesn't matter at all. Yeah, the savings programs absolutely does not matter. Money is you money. Can, money is money. You may use your, um, and you can use it however you want. You can use it. Um, again, the basic rule is an eligible educational institution is one um, simply that qualifies for federal financial aid. That's the, the shorthand definition. And basically, if you can go on to the federal site that has the codes for schools, the, and I can't remember what the name of that is right now off the top of my head, but you can just type in federal school codes and, and you'll find it. Um, if there's a school code for it, it's an eligible educational institution. So as long what as you've got What if they go it. overseas? So there are a number of foreign universities that have federal codes, they actually qualify on their own. Um, and also, if you're in um, a U.S. school and it's a study abroad program, then that definitely qualifies. Sure, um, although we have had a few questions, and we, we have to make sure it works for people, because sometimes in those study abroads, um, the money's paid to um, the company that's running the program. And we, you know, we, a couple times said, could you just... We'll, we'll make it work and figure it out, but that sometimes takes a little bit of finagling because we don't know, and mm -hmm. um, the payment needs to be made to an institution that we recognize um, for it to qualify for, for prepaid. Um, so 
uh, that that's come up a couple of times. But yeah, there are a number of actually foreign universities that qualify. So it depends. They have to. They okay. do have to qualify. Um, the same thing with there are many technical schools, trade schools, things like that that do qualify. They they have to go through that process. One of the things we're working on um, at the congressional level right now is an expansion of the use of 529s to apprenticeship programs um, and to other types of. Um, career technical education that might not qualify right now because again that's just a growing part of, of how people are getting their post-secondary education doing it in what we call stackable credentials mm -hmm. and you know a, a different pathway than that again traditional four-year university so one of the things we kind of joke about is like well if you don't use your kids college plan there's money left over you know mm -hmm. you can go back to trade school or Absolutely. chef school or anything like that but there is a special uh code or credential mm -hmm. or accreditation that, that yep. needs to be. But many of them. I mean, we, we, we send money routinely to culinary arts schools yeah. and to um, mechanics training schools. So there are, there are a lot of options. You just need to sort of make sure that, that it qualifies. So, okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And you can transfer. So, um, you know, if one student doesn't use up all the funds, you can transfer it to not to a sibling, um, back to yourself. To the account owner can be the beneficiary yes. as well. Mm -hmm. So if I run out of my kids are all through college and I want to go back to flight training school or whatever. and it's, Absolutely. Uh, okay. I can yep. change the beneficiary to myself and go do it. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Good. So yep. those are some high-level questions around basically what a 529 savings plan is. We touched on the prepaids a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, maybe it would be helpful for folks to understand, like, opening an account, having an account, and making contributions to it, and then using the account. Okay. Kind of the three main stages that people go through once they understand this is a really great tax-advantaged way to save for college, to save for educational expenses. Right. Well, I like to think that we've made it pretty easy in recent years. You know, we've done a lot in, in all of our um, you know, colleagues around the, world, the country have done the same thing, um, you know, trying to uh, to be accessible online. So the easiest way, I mean, I, I don't think I'm lying. Um, I can do it that way, but other people tell me it's pretty easy to open up an account. It takes about 10, 15 mm -hmm. minutes yep. to go online, open up an account. You, you, know, you register um, so that it's secure. There's a secure login always once you start even opening up the account because we're asking for personal information, financial information. Um, and you need to have not a whole lot, um, although in recent years we have um, expanded and sort of hardened all of our defenses, and so we go through customer identification, and so we're ensuring that we know who our customer is and that you know, we're cutting out fraud because there are always attempts at that. Um, that's never ending. So we have a real commitment to being secure and making sure that we're doing sure. things right to protect our customers. But you, know, you need basic information, you know, your name, the beneficiary's name, date of birth, social security numbers, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, you know, just all the basics that you would need. Um, and then you're deciding which program you want to go into. So if it's, a, if it's prepaid, that's only when that's been open. And again, that's, that's kind of done for now, so I won't talk much more about it. We're ch as I said, we're changing that program. It will look very different, and it's not going to open again until um, sometime in 2020. 20. So um, that's kind of closed right now for opening purposes. Um, but an invest account, then you select a portfolio. So as we said there, um, with that, it's defined contribution program. So we have an array, and we try to keep it, you know, sort of broad enough that we give people real options, but not so many options that they just get confused and throw up their hands and go, I don't know what's the, what I should do. Yeah, you, you really don't have to be an investment professional to know what you should be doing once you're on that site. 
No. I mean, we, we, we try not to. We take into account in the offerings that we have in our Invest 529 program that most of the folks coming in there aren't using a financial advisor and may not have a lot of financial background and experience. So um, we look at it in a couple of buckets, and this is true for um, retirement plans as well. Um, there's kind of a, a do-it-for-me bucket. Yeah. Um, there's a guide-me bucket. And then we have just a couple of options under the do-it-myself. Um, so it's very much geared towards folks who you know, we're, we're sort of guiding them. Um, and our most popular by far options are ones that are target date funds. Um, they're based on an, the age of the beneficiary. So if you go into a 2036, what we call our 2036 portfolio, all that means is we, you think you're going to use it in about the year 2036, which means we're going to start, depending on where you come in in the spectrum, if that's, I think that's what, that's our latest one right now. Um, you know, you have a more aggressive allocation mm -hmm. of investments. And when I say aggressive, that's it's the, the mix is between equities and fixed income like bonds or a CD or something like that. We don't use CDs in, in that program. But, you know, there's just more volatility. And by volatility, it's like there's more chance to maybe make more money, which also means you can lose more money. Sure. Uh, sure. Is that a similar? Yeah. You're, you're the financial advisor, but I mean, adjust yeah. over time. Yeah. So every three years, there's an evolution. And actually, we have, it evolves, but we're also sort of doing that rebalancing throughout the time. So as soon as you put it in, we're sort of starting to move towards that target so you don't have any big jumps, which we find, and again, Morningstar and most financial advisors would say that's that's sort of the best way. It's a very smooth glide path down. So that by the time you're approaching college age, your assets are pretty well protected. So you can move towards principal preservation. Um, you're not going to earn as much probably, mm -hmm. but you're also not going to lose your money when your kids are getting ready to start college. And that, yeah. I, was, I, I, was, I spent a lot of time yelling at the TV set in um, late 08, you know, when the, uh, the recession started and the markets were just going crazy. And um, it was a double-edged sword because 529's actually got a lot of publicity. Some of it was unwanted, but it's all good ultimately um, because they were finding people who had been invested in what I will say was the wrong vehicle sure. for them, right? Um, their kids were going to go to school in the fall, um, you know, say December of 08. They were going to go to school in the fall of 09, and they had all their money in, I don't know, a stock portfolio right. or, you know, an international stock portfolio. And they could have, in Lesson fact, Learned. lost 50%. And they're like, oh, my, this is a terrible thing. And I'm yelling at the TV, no, if you had been in our stable value portfolio, you would have made 3%. And that would have been much better. Yeah. And that would have been the right vehicle for you. So, you know, you have to pay attention. But if you're in that, with that glide path, you would have been in the right vehicle and would not have suffered those losses at a time when you couldn't make it up. And again, the people that were in there and stayed the course but their kids were three, I think they would tell you over the last 10 years, they're pretty darn happy they had that allocation and it's come back and has done what you would expect. So it's a timing thing, obviously. So opening a Virginia 529 Invest account, or Invest 529, mm -hmm. the new name. You've changed the name uh, a couple of it's, times. It's, I know. it's as simple as you go online, people can Google Virginia529.com, Virginia mm -hmm. but um, you just need a little bit of information about who you are if you're the owner, who the beneficiary mm -hmm. is. They actually have to be born. And yes. within about 15 minutes, you're done. Yep. And you can start with a small amount of money, or you can start with a giant amount of money. That's correct. So now you own it, mm -hmm. and you're contributing over time. Yep. 
What do people do? Do they set themselves up on a payment plan every month? Do they just so that's see what we hope? <laughs> that's what we encourage, um, and a lot of what we do. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons I think it's been great that states are involved um, in these things is that we're not in it to make money. We're providing a service. We want to help more people on a good pathway to get the education that they need for the future um, so that they can have a fulfilling life and take care of their families. Um, So yeah, so we we spend a lot of time around financial education. Um, We'll post articles, we send emails, and and it's just reminders. And we can target them. So someone that's already making monthly contributions, we might suggest a couple of times a year, hey, have you thought about, can you increase it? Um, If you get a, a raise at the end of the year, take a piece of it and just put it aside before you ever see it, some behavioral economics, or if you get a bonus at the end of the year, put an extra chunk in. For anybody that hasn't made it or makes a contribution once or twice a year, they might get a message that says, have you thought about setting this up in an ACH? So that every month, mm-hmm. whether it's $5 or 500 or whatever you can afford, it just comes out automatically. So again, you don't really feel it. And, and you're starting to grow your account. Um, more and more and more do that. That's probably the, the most likely scenario. We're really proud. About 68% of our accounts get some contribution every year, which is much higher than the Mm -hmm. national average. And when people do this, they should be keeping track of how much they put in because at the end of the year when they start preparing their taxes, they can take it get a deduction. But if you go online, we have some pretty good resources. So you can always see your transaction history. You can always get a printout and and you'll also get... um, a 1099, yeah. So I'm going to follow Dave's example because we have about 10 minutes left, if you can okay. believe that. Um, so the timeline. So we've talked about putting money in and mm-hmm. talked about a disciplined saving strategy. Uh, so getting money out, I know mm-hmm. that's a real practical question, and we deal with it with folks here, but kind of from your side, you know, tell people a little bit about what happens when you need the money. Okay. Again, I think it's pretty easy. We've, mm-hmm. we've tried to streamline that as well. Um, it is different for between invest and prepaid. So for an invest 529 account, um, you simply, again, log into your account. Hopefully you've already got that set up, but but you can log in, you find your account, um, and you simply make a distribution request. So it, that takes less than 10 minutes. I mean, you just find, um, if you have more than one portfolio or one account, you can decide which one you want it to come from. But once you make that decision, you just simply um, click a few boxes and uh, we pay three places so we actually changed that when we went to online distributions um, you can have the money sent to the school that you want to go to you can have it sent to your beneficiary or you can have it sent back to yourself Um, because again you can make the payment to the school you can pay for um, housing for your student you can you know pay for your expenses and just reimburse yourself or you can get the money pulled in and still pay it yourself so you can front end it front load it or or get it as a reimbursement or you can send it directly to the school. And as long as you have documentation for the tuition bills or the housing or whatever, that's ultimately what you have as backup to exactly. substantiate the withdrawal. Exactly. And so we try to you know, remind people that um, you know, the easy ones is if you're just paying tuition and fees, but if you're ba- paying those other expenses um, and they're living off campus, for example, or not on a, on a meal plan, then you need to keep track of where those expenses are. And every school has a what, what they call cost of attendance. So even if you're not um, living on campus, not eating campus meals, you can still use your Five two nine for your room and board. You simply use the the max amount is what the cost of attendance is for that school. So, um, you you know you can't um, I don't know go live in Boston or New York in a um, 
in a skyscraper or a duplex or something and, mm -hmm. and use the, all those expenses, there's a limit to it. But uh, Is that but by state or is school. that by school? It's set so, by the schools. Yeah. So each school has kind of a, what they call an off-campus mm -hmm. equivalent or something Because it does like depend. That. Because yeah. obviously the cost is yeah. going to be wildly different um, depending on where you're going to school. And so. the Office of Financial Aid or the whatever office at whatever school that is should be able to provide that dollar amount. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's probably on their website. Or the bursar's office. Absolutely. I was going to say bursar, but that. that can't be right. Well, it's a lot of, yeah. okay. you know, so yeah. full disclosure, my kids are both uh, benefiting from Virginia prepaid and uh, invest. But what's really helpful is using both of those because you can't use the prepaid for those items where the cost of attendance right. applies because that's room and board. Right. And so that's where a savings plan can also be beneficial for somebody who's already got a prepaid plan. Yeah. If anybody asks me, I can't give, I'm not a financial advisor, so I can't give advice, but, you know, people always say, well, what should we do or whatever? And I said, well, one thing you can think about if you don't know, if you don't know if your child's going to go to school in state or out of state is to get maybe two years of a prepaid contract mm -hmm. and then put the rest of your, your resources into an invest account. And that way you've got a little bit of a hedge with mm -hmm. the prepaid. You're not going to lose money on that. You know, at a minimum, you're going to get your money back plus something. Um, and then you've got some uh, you know, sure. ability to maybe do something different. Um, with the other so so maybe it's time to very quickly touch on the 300 level class okay. here which is tax so I'm going to go back Mary to something that you said around um, what I'd call the, the two characters of tax benefits one is mm -hmm. federal one is state mm -hmm. so here in Virginia if you contribute up to four thousand dollars per account per account owner mm -hmm. you can put four thousand dollars in that account and then you deduct four thousand from your state income tax that's correct which is five point seven five percent we won't do any math on the podcast <laughs> uh, if you contribute five thousand dollars to that mm -hmm. you can only deduct four thousand dollars from that account for that year for yes. that year mm -hmm. uh, we'll we'll reserve what happens with that extra thousand for, for a moment okay as that $4,000 grows over the years. It's going to have income, maybe capital gains distributions. It's going to have all this growth that if it were in a regular account, like just, you know, a regular old investment account, mm -hmm. you might be getting some uh, tax bills associated with all right. of that growth, federally and state. Mm -hmm. In the case of a 529, you do not. You don't get taxed. No tax. Any of the growth. That's correct. And then when you take that money out, like if it were a regular old investment account, you've got to sell that $4,000 that's now grown to, let's say, $10,000. Mm -hmm. And you would pay capital gains, uh, a tax on any of the capital gains. And in a 529, if you're using that withdrawal for eligible education expenses. No taxes. No taxes. So I'd say mm -hmm. there's kind of a two things people need to remember. I think a lot of folks are familiar with the there's no tax when you take it out, but there's a tax benefit when you put the money in. Yes. Here in Virginia. Is. Yes. So you put $5,000 into that account. Mm -hmm. You get a $4,000 reduction in your Virginia taxable income, and you then carry that extra $1,000 into the following year. Correct. And the following year, you contribute $4,000. So you're keeping that $1,000 rolling until the year when you don't make a contribution. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's an unlimited, yeah. It, it, you never lose it. 
And the only one caveat is that, and this is particularly good for grandparents, if you're 70 and above, then you don't have the limitation. So you can put as much in as you want, and as long as you have taxable income to offset it, you can take a deduction for your entire contribution. Theoretically, a grandparent making who's 70 or above, who's making, let's say, $50,000 in income, taxable income a year, could make a $50,000 contribution to their granddaughter's account in that one year and will wipe away their Virginia tax. It would wash against well, Virginia the, the taxable taxes, yeah, income. Right. If they were a Virginia income, resident. It's not a credit. If they so were yeah. a Virginia resident. Right. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So now, okay. here's a nuance that I think most of our listeners' heads will explode. If you're a Virginia resident, um, keep the math simple. $4,000 per account per account holder, mm -hmm. per account owner. So mom and dad have one child. They can each contribute $4,000, but it has to be two different account numbers. They each have to be Correct. an owner. They can each be an owner. So now mm -hmm. they've got an $8,000 benefit. Correct. What if they wanted to contribute $16,000, so $8,000 each for their daughter mm -hmm. with an invest. Could they open four accounts total, two yes. accounts each? Yes, they may. So those parents could open a lot of accounts. Two accounts each for their daughter. They could open three accounts each for yes. their daughter and in that year reduce their yes. Virginia taxable income by the amount that they're contributing. They can. Is that something many people do? They don't. We've actually been we've been monitoring that a little bit because I'm going to say that's that's been a quirk of yep. the, just the way our system was set up. It's and a the, nice quirk. And the day will we come like when quirk. we change it because and what no, some people don't me, like. Mary. Well, what some don't like is that you have these multiple accounts, and so it's a little bit complicated. Yeah. So yeah. rather than having multiple positions in a single account, you have all these accounts. Yeah. You got to keep track of the numbers and so when you want to. Five twenty nine. Yeah, when you want to move money around, well, that's the way our system set up. So for more people, but we've been. Looking Looking to see like how many people are going to be unhappy with us when we change that. You get two right here, and <laughs> say that you can't have, but you can still have multiple accounts. So still, the two spouses can each have accounts for yeah. as many children as you have. Yeah. So if you have more than one child, then you can have more than you know different accounts for the different children. Um, and right now, you'd still be able to have like a prepaid account and probably even in the new system and an invest account, or you can have an invest account and a College America account. Mm -hmm. So you can still have multiple accounts. You just might not be able to have you know seventeen accounts which, I mean, we have a lot of portfolios, and we do have a handful of people who have a lot of accounts, and they put $4,000 in every year. But yeah. it's not a large number. Okay. It really isn't. And it wouldn't likely... Because the really out, reality is most people just don't have that right. much money, right. right? It's a small... I mean... It's, a, it's definitely you know, a our uh, average, first world problem to have. Right. Our average monthly contribution to an invest account is about 150 to $200. Mm -hmm. sure. So, you know, that's the reality. If yeah. families can get to the 4000 by great. and large, they're really happy. That's a happy. lot of money, little kids. But that's you're going to get out if we're going to run out of time. The best thing I think about 529s, I've always said this, it is the best estate tax planning tool that exists, period. Let's talk about that. And stop. Tell us more. And I'm an old tax lawyer that did great. estate Let's tax do it. planning. Sounds like a great way to end it. Yep. And, and when it first started, I said, well, no, that's not right. It can't be because that's not the way the estate tax rules work. And that is, in fact, correct. Because you can have a completed gift for estate tax purposes by making a contribution to a 529 account, but you can still keep control of the money. And that is not the rule for anything else in any kind of estate transfer except 529s. Huh. So in other words, you can be the account owner and you can your put estate, though. money into an account for as many, let's say, grandchildren and children, however many people you want. 
and you can maximize, you can take advantage of the five-year averaging. So it's whatever, $15,000 a year plus your, if you have a spouse, then that's 30,000 a year times five is $150,000 per year to as many recipients as you want. And there are no, um, estate and gift tax consequences. You have effectively removed that from your estate. Hmm. The only caveat is that if, if you do the five-year averaging and you die within the five years, then whatever portion hasn't sort of been earned, if you, let's say, die yeah. in year three, then you might have to take back in two years. But if you make it past that, it is gone, done. But huh. you can at any time change the beneficiary. You can take it back. There might be income or you know um, penalty if you just take it back. But if you transfer beneficiaries, you can do that anytime you want, and there's no penalty for that. Huh. So, sounds like a CFP board question. That is, yeah, the uh, the CFP uh, certificate. It's the only thing you can do. So, it's so, the so only way you can get money out so of your estate and still keep control. I have lots of grandchildren, and I happen to be sitting on a lot of money that I'm not going to need, mm-hmm. and then I want to make you know, an investment in my grandkids' education, that's a great tool. It is. And it takes it out of your taxable and estate. And you remove it from your taxable estate. But if one grandchild doesn't end up going or they go off the rails or whatever, then you still have control of it and mm. you can change beneficiaries. Change beneficiaries. Or, or not pay it out. So now, John, forgive me, I'm going to say, let's end on just one follow-up question to that one. All right, Dave. It's this on gets back to those <laughs> folks who don't have an estate tax problem, which is sadly most of us and probably right. most of us listening. But if you do have the estate tax problem, give us a call. Kidding. <laughs> um, if you have saved diligently for your children's education mm-hmm. and you've been you know, hard at work and so have they, and gosh, it turns out that they get some form of financial aid in the form of a scholarship mm-hmm. um, or don't choose to go to a university. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this money sitting in your invest account. What happens then? So you have a lot of options, I think. One, you can kind of let it sit and see what happens because sometimes you think they're not going to go and life happens, they work and they oh, maybe there's some things I can do. They go back and get a certificate. They do other mm-hmm. types of things. So again, you can remember you can use it for a broad range of educational opportunities. Um, or you have another sibling, someone else that needs it. Maybe you know they had their own account and they went through and got a four-year degree, but they want to go to grad school. So you can transfer beneficiaries. You can take it back and use it yourself. Um, ultimately, you can take it back and um, you pay tax on the gains. Now, let me go through the one caveat. If they have a scholarship, Mm -hmm. there are three instances where when you take the money back without using it, without transferring beneficiaries or using it for qualified expenses, you don't have any penalty. You do still pay tax on the gains. Um, If the beneficiary um, dies, becomes disabled, or gets a scholarship, then the amount of the scholarship you can take take back and and there's no penalty on that. Um, If you actually take money back in and and not in those situations, there is potential for tax on the gain and a 10% penalty on the gain. So it's like withdrawing from your 401k before you're 59 and a half. Very few people just don't do it. They just let it sit there and Mm -hmm. they find another beneficiary. It's like a family endowment. Yeah. But one of the things that we're working on, so again, we do a lot at, at the federal level working with Congress. We've mm-hmm. gotten many changes in recent years. Um, and one of the ones that, that's one of my personal favorites is to allow folks to take any any remaining amount and put it into a retirement account. Yeah. 
And I mean, I'm going to keep working. You know, as long That's as I'm like working, Roth, Roth we're going to try that. Well, or, we've looked at different ways, but I think what, what we're kind of, I don't know what it'll look like. Um, initially, originally, we thought of Roth IRA, but we think if you do it in the right way, you could do it over time. You don't want to be able to game the system. Sure. So we're always, you know, you're always trying to avoid that. Um, but we think if you just allowed people to, in any given year, take the amount that they could put into a retirement account, so they might have tax on the gain that they're taking out, but they might also get a deduction for their contribution, so it might kind of balance out, mm -hmm. and as long as you don't have a penalty. Right. I mean, most people don't get so concerned in getting it back. You've had it tax-free for a sure. number of years. If you have to pay tax on the gain, yeah. maybe you wait until you're in a lower tax bracket, you wait until you're older, um, but it's that penalty that's just, sure. who that wants stinks. to pay a penalty, right? right? right. So we're looking at ways. Um, other opportunities maybe to allow you to, to roll it into and make a charitable contribution, same thing. You might pay mm -hmm. tax on the gains, That's but avoid the penalty. Sure. So we're working on some things okay. like that, but we don't hear that very often. That's not really an issue. There are so many ways to, to change beneficiaries or yeah. to use it that that's not a big problem. It's a question that people, it may not be a problem, but it's a question that but a lot of people It keeps people, people have. from saving. Yeah, right. That's, what, that's right. what we worry about. What it's like they worry, locked? Yeah. what is it's locked yeah. in? And yeah. so we try to yeah. address that as much well, as we can. Well, that's an interesting topic for sure. Yeah. I think maybe as things change, maybe we'll have you back on to talk about that. Sure. And always. also the prepaid program, as that maybe relaunches, I think that would be a great yes. topic. Yes. Um, yeah. Talking podcast. about now, people will just lose track. But, but what we're trying, trying to do, I'll just say, we're changing the benefit structure mm -hmm. um, to make it more simple, more flexible, um, more certain. And, and more affordable. So Excellent. we think it's going to be a better program that more people can participate in cool. and so, still have a defined benefit. It's so to recap, benefit. a 529 plan is a tax-advantaged way to save for education expenses, easy to open up, very, very quick, mm -hmm. virginia529.com, or many other sites, depending on what state you're in. Right. Uh, compare them and make your own choice. Uh, easy to contribute to and easy to pull the money out and there is no tax if you do it the right way and a lot of tax advantages. Yep. yep. That's pretty good summary. Mary Morris, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was great having you here. And uh, we'll have you back on here in the next year or two. It'd be great if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in coming back. So. I would love it. I would like to talk about what we do. Excellent. So for anyone who's still out there after Dave's uh, tax 300 level questions, <laughs> um, we'll see you guys uh, all in a couple weeks at the next podcast. Take care. Bye.